Lord Jesus, we give you uh, thanks and praise. You are the one who loves us deeply. And how marvelous and how wonderful is the love that you have shown for us uh, through the cross, through your blood which was shed in your glorious resurrection. Heavenly Father, I pray that as our hearts are lifted towards you, I, I, I pray that you would now, by your Holy Spirit, uh, cause our ears to be open, cause our hearts to be open to hear your word today. I pray that you would give us a humble uh, spirit as we look at your word today. I pray that you'd give us an understanding uh, way about us as we look at your word today. So Lord, we thank you that when your word uh, goes forth, it doesn't return void. Uh, it, it goes forth, it accomplishes the purpose for which you sent, up, sent it, and we thank you for that. Uh, so Lord, be glorified uh, in us and through us today. And may we be transformed through your grace, through the, the teaching of your word today, that we would go as people who reflect the very nature of Jesus in our world. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now this is a uh, somewhat of a difficult passage. It's probably one of the more difficult passages in 1 Corinthians, maybe within all of Scripture, to preach on. Uh, the, uh, the theme is a concern for cultural sensitivity, a, a concern for cultural sensitivity and unity in the church. Yet when I was thinking of, I'm going to be reading this passage, and it's going to sound like somewhat of an oxymoron, cultural sensitivity. Um, so this is a difficult passage, and I think that what I want us to understand as we look at this passage today is that, that some things, you know, most of Scripture is, the, the truths in it are timeless. So, so the truth of God's Word is, is absolutely timeless, yet every once in a while we're, we're going to en encounter some things that were culturally relevant for the time in which Paul uh, ministered. But when we begin to make distinction between what is timeless and what's not timeless, it's a very slippery slope. Who makes those decisions of what's timeless and what isn't timeless within the Scripture? Let's go ahead and read this. We'll just get right to the text today, and then we'll, we'll begin to unpack this passage. So again, it's a concern for cultural sensitivity and unity in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with the second verse. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off and her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, 
since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that a man has, uh, that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Here ends the reading. <laughs> have you ever heard a sermon on this passage before? <laughs> Um, I, I have never preached on this passage before. So today we're going to break it down. Again, there are things, almost all of Scripture is, is timeless. The truths, of it are, are, the truths of the passage are timeless, but there are some things in Scripture which are, which are not timeless. It's relevant to the culture in which Paul ministered. All right, so this becomes a very difficult thing. But I think that if, if we kind of look at how things operate in the church today, we, especially churches that, that hold to the authority of Scripture, that hold to the inerrancy of Scripture, that hold a high view of Scripture, we can, we can kind of discern those things which are, which are timeless in those things which are not timeless. Okay? So point number one, point number one is this. The instruction for head coverings is not timeless. How many women came in with head coverings today uh, within our American culture? Not very many. So within North American culture, we don't hold, we don't hold to this tradition of women having their heads covered as they enter into church. Some cultures, some churches still practice uh, this, and, and some churches do believe that the instruction for head coverings in church is timeless. If there is anything in the head coverings uh, thing that, that, that might be timeless, and I believe it is timeless, but the, the distinction of male and female is a timeless thing, that there is a distinction between male and female. Especially in, in this culture that we live in today, it's important for us to acknowledge that there is a distinction, that God created them male and female. However, in Paul's day, head coverings had profound meaning. In his time, it was a very meaningful thing. You see, if a woman's head was not covered, it signified that she was available. Um, it signified that uh, that, that she was, uh, that she was uh, married if her head was covered. So a head covering signified marriage, almost like a wedding ring does in our culture today. All right? 
You see, Paul's command regarding head coverings was, I believe, not a timeless biblical command. Rather, Paul's instruction regarding head covering was to not create unneeded obstacles for outsiders who came into the church. Because within Jewish and Greek culture in the first century, it would have been an offense to outsiders entering into the gathering of believers and to see women that did not have head coverings. So Paul didn't want to create any obstacles to the gospel among those who were unbelievers to, uh, to Jewish unbelievers and to Greek unbelievers. He wanted to be sure that all who came into the church uh, understood that, that this wasn't a, 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 a radical group that was way off the rails. And I think that we need to say something else here that's very important. Uh, women are not inferior. So I believe there's a second timeless truth here. And that's point number two. I believe that striving for the equality of women is timeless. Striving for the equality of women is... How many who here can say amen to that? Striving for the equality of women is timeless. And why is it timeless? Because Jesus set the example. Jesus set the example for how we are to interact with everybody. The New Testament teachings of Jesus is counter-cultural. Jesus received women as equals. So according to Paul, in this passage, which is very interesting, women in the church would lead in prayer. In the public gatherings of God's people, women in the church would lead in prayer. And we also see from this passage that women in the church would prophesy, which is to speak the word of the Lord with authority. So in Paul's day, it was completely right. First of all, Jesus received women as equals. Jesus used women in ministry. And then we see in, in the first century church that women would lead publicly in the gatherings of God's people in the church. I think that the first century church in regard to women, was probably more progressive than we are here. So the, 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 the order or the, the instruction for head coverings, that was not timeless. But the equality of women in the church is timeless. Not everything in the Bible is timeless. Head coverings, not timeless. But the dignity in the equality of women. Paul wrote to the Galatians. He says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. And he says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the equality of women, that is timeless. Jesus set the example. 
Number three, this is where people may misunderstand. Number three, the marital order of husbands and wives is timeless. Now let me explain this. This is difficult for many people to reconcile. They can't understand how male leadership and equality are possible. But, it, but it's not hard to understand when you look at something as familiar and non-threatening as a sports game. For example, when you watch the, uh, when you watch the Seahawks, the quarterback typically is the leader. When you watch the Mariners, the, uh, the catcher is typically the leader. Somebody on the field has to take the lead. But that does not mean that the quarterback is, is uh, more important than the other players on the field. It doesn't mean that the, that the catcher is more important than the pitcher, or that they are superior to them. It's just as simple as this. Somebody has to take the lead. For example, the relationship between a catcher and a pitcher. Generally, the catcher takes the lead. The catcher will call the pitches, right? Sometimes the pitcher will do this. That's how marriage works, right? Sometimes there'll be a conference at the mound. Right? Just because somebody takes the lead doesn't mean that they are better than. It doesn't mean that they are superior to. It simply means that there is an order. And the way that God has ordered things is that the husbands take the lead. In the same way, there's an order in the Godhead. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We confess that they are co-equal. Right? There is one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It seems that the Father, though He is not superior to the Son or the Holy Spirit, takes the lead. And so Paul draws on the order of the Godhead. And there is order in creation. There is an order in the family. So within Scripture, the wife is called to submit to her husband. But does that mean that the wife is not equal? No. The wife is equal. So wives are called to submit to their husbands, but it, it doesn't end there. If it ended there, then we would have a problem. The husband is called to submit to his wife. So there is equal submission. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. Um, 
Like any good leader, the husband is called to submit to the needs and the desires of his wife. So in Ephesians Ephesians 5, Paul urges husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. So the Bible calls for this mutual submission. And this was radical in the first century. To, uh, To a Jewish audience or to a Greek audience, this was absolutely radical. Because in that time, women basically were seen as inferior... When Jesus came along and he received women as equals, that was radical. And when Paul speaks of mutual submission of husbands and wife, that was unheard of in the first century. So husbands are to lead their wives. There is equality in the marriage. A good leader leads with the needs of others in mind. Again, the New Testament does not promote male superiority or female inferiority. Husbands, you too are called to submit to your wives. Here's here's a good thing to do, husbands. Open your ears and listen. Listen to what your wife is telling you. And submit yourself. So that you are one who leads in the family in a way that that takes into account and is very, very concerned about the needs and the desires of your wife. Good leaders submit to the needs of others. Good leaders do not lord it over others. Good leaders lead with Christ-like love. This means a good husband is always attentive to the needs and the desires of his wife. So guys, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who have been married, you understand what it's like. You don't want to poke the hornet's nest. Right? A happy wife makes for a happy life. I think Paul would agree. This man, this doesn't mean that you're milk toast. This is simply good leadership. Good leadership. Likewise, good wives understand the need for men to be respected as the leaders that God designed them to be. And when husband and wife offer mutual love and respect towards one another, the marriage works well. But once mutual love and respect for each other goes away, the marriage suffers. Strong marriages are marriages where there is love and there is respect that is mutually given and received. So this is why Paul says in Ephesians 5.21, to husbands and wives, submit to one another. Submit to one another. This follows in the way of love. Husbands, love your wives. Listen to them. Meet their needs and their desires. And the same goes for wives. The attitude of husbands towards wives and wives towards husbands should be Christ-like love and respect. And again, once love and respect are gone, the marriage suffers. So what is not timeless in this passage is head coverings in church. What is timeless is striving for the equality of women... And the marital order of husbands and wives is timeless. And then number four, 
Loving unity is the prime and the timeless rule. So Paul has a real concern for the church in Corinth that that congregation function with loving unity. We must remember that in all things, especially in our, in our treatment of one another, whether it's husbands and wives or it's just people in general, the way that we treat each other in the body of Christ, love must be the final rule. And this is why I believe Paul's letter to the Corinthians comes to this crescendo in chapter 13 with this great passage on love. Because love must be the final rule. You see, in many churches, love is the exception. It's not the rule. But we pray that love is always the rule in our church. Almost every time a church fails, almost every time a church has a struggle, really at, at the root of it is a failure to love. To love one another. That's where the failure starts in the body of Christ. That's where the failure starts, I believe, within marital relationships. It's a failure to love and to understand that love isn't me getting what I want, but love is me giving to the other person what they need. Oftentimes when marriages begin to fail, or when relationships begin to fail, when people leave a church, for example, they say, well, it's because I don't feel loved anymore. I don't feel loved in the relationship. But the call of the Christian is to sacrifice. It's not about me, although it's so important that we do receive love. I don't want to undermine the importance of that. It's so important that we receive love. But, but the principle within Christian living isn't that we are always recipients of something, but it's that we give. We give to each other in the body of Christ sacrificially. That's love. And so the, the church in Corinth was failing. It was a messy church. And at the root of their chronic messiness was this failure in love. They weren't loving each other the way they should. And one specific thing that threatened unity in the Corinthian church was the way they shared in the sacrament of Holy Communion. They shared Holy Communion in an, in an unloving way. And they made a mockery of the sacrament. People would... Uh, Basically, it turned into a big drunken feast. Some people would go hungry if they didn't have a whole lot. Other people would gorge themselves on food and they would drink way too much wine. That's what their communion service was looking like. Some would go ahead of others and they would have no concern for those who had less. They shared Holy Communion in an unloving way that made a mockery of the sacrament. You see, when we come to the sacrament this morning, when we come to share in Christ's body and blood, we need to understand that the ground is level at the cross. The ground is level at the cross. 
And the ground is level here where we stand to receive his body and blood today. You see, the ground is level because we all come to Jesus in great need. Each and every one of us come to Jesus as sinners in need of the grace and the mercy of Christ. Here at the altar and at the cross, there is no distinction of ethnicity. There is no distinction of gender. There is no distinction of social or economic class. The ground is level at the cross. And the ground is level here at this altar. We come as equals. We all come equally in need of Jesus. We all come in equal need of his love, of his grace, and of his mercy. You see, when when we're focused on the cross of Jesus Christ, it's impossible when we're focused on him for us to, to think of ourselves as superior It's impossible for us to lord it over others. It's impossible for us to make distinctions of of gender or social class or of race. When we look to the cross, we see the perfect expression and the perfect word of love. For God so loved the world. It doesn't say for God so loved the Jew. For God so loved the Norwegian. For God so loved some specific class of people. For God so loved a specific gender. No, it says for God so loved the world. So we come to this altar today. Loved. Loved in what way? For God so loved the world that He gave He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through Him. When we look at the truth of the Gospel, all of these distinctions, all of these Uh, All of these uh, certain boxes that we create within society, they go away. And we see each other then through Jesus as equals. As people who ought to be served. As people who ought to be loved. As people that we ought to give ourselves to sacrificially. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, today we thank you for your word. And we pray, Heavenly Father... Uh, that as we come to this altar today, that we would come uh, with, with hearts that sense that we have a great need, that with hearts that, that are open to receiving the grace that you have for us here today. So I pray, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, that when we come to this altar, and as we receive your body, and as we receive your blood, and the bread and the wine, that we will be liberated once again, free in you, free to serve, free to give, free to be the people that you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's children say, Amen. Amen.